I'm going to I'm going to chair this meeting. My name's John King. It would have said Dr. King if they'd made a name tag for me, but they didn't. I'm deeply <laughs> hurt by that. But there you go. And my excuse for being here is that um, is that I helped to organise something called the Society for Algerian Studies, which is a, a non-university para-academic group which exists to attempt to promote um, the giving of lectures in Algerian studies, such as this 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 very one. Um, beginning in, in a context some 15 years ago or so when Algeria was practically totally unheard of in British universities and we had to organise something to, uh, to, to get people to, uh, um, to, to listen to anything about Algeria at all. Um, and I, I did a doctorate on an Algerian topic a very long time ago. Um, our, our speaker is a gentleman much more distinguished than I. Um, <laughs> He, he is James McDougall, who's Fellow and Tutor in Modern History at Trinity College, Oxford, whose interests include modern and contemporary Mediterranean, Middle East and African, and Islamic history, especially Algeria, Tunisia and Morocco. But I know him to be um, a very doughty scholar of Algeria. Um, um, prior, to, prior to Trinity College, Oxford, he was at SOAS, and prior to SOAS, he was at, at Princeton, um, and, um, and prior to that at St. Anthony's and long ago um, at St. Andrew's where he graduated with immense distinction he's going to be annoyed with me <laughs> immense distinction in French and Arabic and, um, and he's going to talk to you about the pattern of the past in North Africa and I should tell you one thing that if you're going to, if you're going to, to, to tweet anything about this the hashtag is hash L-S-E-N-Africa, all, all one, all one, L-S-E-N-A-F-R-I-C-A. Okay, so I will now sit down and, um, and Dr. Dougal will speak. Um, thanks, so I don't dare say anything after that description. <laughs> um, whatever I say is definitely going to be disappointing. Um, I've never had a lecture tweeted before, so that's, that's really interesting. If you do, if you do, then let me know so I can serve on my CV. <laughs> um, I, I, a couple of a couple of uh, usual sort of caveats and disclaimers and, and apologies to start with. I'm recovering from a really bad cold, so I might I might suddenly start coughing violently. Please excuse me if I do that. Um, and uh, I'm also I'm, I'm not I'm afraid presenting anything. Uh, new in terms of historical research on, on Algeria specifically or indeed on, on North Africa more generally. Um, not that I'm not doing that, I am, but just uh, because what I thought I'd do tonight is to present uh, a few ideas that I've been trying to think through more generally to get feedback on and hopefully to have some discussion about um, in terms of this very broad and very vague uh, title in terms of the, the way we think about uh, North African history more generally and, and how we might uh, conceive of the way in which it's, it's patterned, if that, if that makes any sense. Um, so what I want to do is, is three things, uh, quite briefly. I'm going to talk about 40 minutes, 40, yeah, 45 absolutely. minutes, and then hopefully we'll be able to have a, have a discussion afterwards. Um, first of all, I want to say something about uh, what I think is uh, the abiding problem of Maghrebi historiography, by which I mean the historiography of the Maghreb, both practiced, uh, as practiced within the region and, and more particularly in English outside of the region. Um, uh, and the subtitle to that, I suppose, would be How Should We Want to Write the History of North Africa? And, and what might be some of the challenges to doing that in, in a way that we might want to do? Um, 
Secondly, I'm going to give a brief sort of sketch of what I think is the state of the field in the writing of North African history uh, as it's developed since about the 1970s. And while I think some of the interesting uh, trends and some of the problems lie now. And then thirdly, I want to give some very tentative thoughts about how we might get past some of the challenges that I'm going to talk about um, and towards some ways of thinking about putting Maghrebi history together as a coherent and, and uh, appreciable object of, of historical analysis in its own right, which gets past some of the, what I think are, uh, what I'm going to discuss is these kind of abiding problems in Maghrebi historiography uh, that continue, I think, uh, to plague it one way or another. Um, so, I'm, so I'm not saying anything very specifically new about Algeria uh, itself here, I'm talking much more generally about the region as a whole, although Algeria obviously plays a very important part in that. Uh, and what I'm talking about is a much more methodological or kind of general state of the field uh, survey than uh, offering you anything uh, very new in terms of actual empirical research. Although what I think I might be tending towards, uh, if that is you believe the argument that I'm going to try to make, and you don't have to, um, is a sort of framework towards thinking about a more adequate way of thinking about North African history that might enable us to think methodologically more interestingly about how to do new empirical research in a way that's going to get, get us past some of what I think have been uh, uh, some problems that we've continued to have to deal with in this field. Um, so let me start with a caricature, or two, well, the two expressions of the same caricature, which is a long-standing kind of uh, shibboleth in North African historiography. René Bassi and Charles Pellat, two distinguished French scholars of the Maghreb writing in the first volume of the second edition of the Encyclopedia of Islam, which came out in 1960, not coincidentally. Um, on the Maghreb, described the region as a whole as, in their terms, a land of conquest. That, as they said, has never, passed any, has never possessed any other language of civilization than that of its foreign conquerors. Uh, now, the same might be true... Uh, uh, of England, much of its history, and indeed of America for all of its, but for the Maghreb there seems to be a particular problem. Similarly, Jean-Henri Bousquet, another distinguished French scholar of the Maghreb, writing in 1957 on the history of the Berbers, uh, wrote that North Africa's history was, in his terms, nothing but the history of the dominions or the dominations that it has endured. Now, despite its familiarity as well as its bankruptcy, um, this particular caricature of the Maghreb a land of conquest, a land, a land possessing nothing of its own except that which has been imposed upon it, uh, a, history, a, a region that has as its history nothing but the history of other people coming and conquering it or resisting the conquest of it. Um, this particular caricature, I think, continues oddly to resonate, in a sense, in the absence of historical scholarship and the view of North African history over the very long run that might both account adequately for Maghrebi specificity and connect it satisfactorily to broader historical patterns, whether in African, Mediterranean, Islamic, or Middle Eastern, or indeed global history. The Maghreb, has, in other words, remains a kind of empty space in between other places that are much more easily characterized. Um, this is uh, a striking fact, and I think it's an exceptional one, relative to other easily identifiable geographical and historical regions, however historical regions might be defined, and that, of course, itself is a, is a problematic question whether very large ones like Southeast Asia, or roughly comparable ones like the Maastricht, the Levant, um, or the Gulf, uh, to stick with uh, contiguous regions to North Africa within the Arab The specificity or the peculiarity of North Africa, in, in this sense, it still often seems to be stated 
in terms of its being somehow always something else, something which cannot be adequately characterized on its own terms, but can only be characterized by what it isn't quite. It's not really Africa, it's not really the Middle East, it's certainly not European, uh, witness the position of Morocco relative to the EU, relative to the position of Turkey relative to the EU. It's not even really Arab, at least if you listen to Egyptian football fans. Um, and this seems to remain true despite the increasing visibility of the Maghreb economically, politically, culturally, in tourist traffic, in the news, at least in the news since 2011, in the um, to Europeans and to North Americans, and even, of course, these days, even to people like Chinese construction workers. Lots of people from all over the world see the Maghreb in all kinds of ways now, in a way that wasn't true 30 or 40 years ago. And it's true despite especially the visibility of the region in the, the, what's now the global success of Maghrebi cultural exports, everything from Rye to Couscous, um, which are visible cultural exports from the region that can be encountered in you know, any shop, uh, even in uh, England. It's no longer then true, as it might have been true as recently as 20 or 30 years ago, it's no longer as if the Maghreb was a distinctly French preserve. Something that was, I mean, a, com a comment that was regularly made to me when I started working on it at the end of the 90s, you know, how can you work on North Africa, don't, don't the French candidates do that? Um, <coughs> as in, we British and American scholars, in some sense, don't. Um, that, that, I think, no longer is true. Uh, it's no longer the case that the Maghreb is, in the sense, a distinctly French preserve, defined in terms inherited from the colonial period, and, and nor is it true um, that uh, nor is it as if what it means to be Maghrebi and what Maghrebi history therefore might mean is entirely a blank in the minds of most people outside the region. Uh, it, it's true that most people in my family get confused between Algeria and Nigeria, um, and, and that's true of lots of people to whom I explain my work. But lots of people in the Anglophone world these days know where the Maghreb is, know something about it, can identify, you know, Shabkhara or Shabmemi, or at least, you know, Moroccan food, something distinct, something Maghrebi, something that has a distinct sense of being Maghrebi. Um, they, that, 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 that there is some visibility to that um, in a way that didn't used to be the case. So, there, but there, there nonetheless remains this paradox about North Africa that it's often perceived or it's misperceived um, both as empty of anything its own and yet incomparable to anything else, save in negative terms. Now, when you compare this to, to other areas about which history has long been written, and of course history has long been written about the Maghreb in English as in, as in other uh, languages, <coughs> of course in Arabic. Um, Relative to, say, China, uh, Africa, or the Mediterranean generally, uh, English language historiography has for a very long time possessed very well-developed models for thinking about, say, the pattern of the Chinese past, to use a term coined by Mark, Mark Elvin in his work about title in 1973. Um, general patterns for thinking about the historiography of Africa as a continent. Uh, John Eilert's work, uh, Africans, History of the Continent in 1995, that, that proposes a kind of general model for thinking about African history. Or more recently, uh, Pergen Hordman, Nicholas Purcell's book, The Corrupting Sea, um, which gives a new kind of ecologically focused history of the Mediterranean <coughs> as a coherent space over the long term, possessing a particular kind of dynamics of its own that can be rooted in particular uh, distinctive features of Mediterranean history. Now, it's not that I think the Maghreb can or should be considered as a historical region comparable in its own dynamics, or indeed in global significance, to these much bigger areas. But it is that it ought to be possible to replicate on an appropriate scale the particular pattern of history that explains what makes the Maghreb what it is rather than what it isn't. In other words, my problem is, the problem that I'm starting out with is why can't we think about North Africa in terms of what it is rather than always thinking in terms of what it's not? 
or what it what it lacks, what it's what, what is absent from it. So the problem then is how to apprehend North Africa as an object of historical analysis and as a subject of a history which would be its own, that is a history not simply imposed on it from outside, without on the other hand making it impossible to fit the region into larger trans-regional or global histories. So how do we think about Maghrebi specificity without falling into a kind of Maghrebi essentialism or Maghrebi uniqueness or Maghrebi distinctiveness that makes it impossible to compare it with other places? That's, that's what I want to try to work towards, Jane. Um, and what I think doesn't exist in the existing historiography. And if I've missed anything that, that is out there that does this, please tell me. Um, and it may be that it does exist, and I just haven't seen it, but I don't, I don't think it does exist. And I think we need to do this without falling into one of, one of various traps. And there are four traps in particular um, that I think need to be avoided. And again, these are issues that are abiding ones in writing the history of the region that come up in, in all kinds of ways in different works that have been written about the region. First of all, uh, we need to avoid making North Africa simply part of an undifferentiated global South whose history is just pre-colonial, colonial and post-colonial. That is, a region uh, whose chronology is organised by reference to the colonial period and its themes determined by a narrative of a current North-South conflict. So it would be very easy to write the history of the region in those terms. I think it would be a, a mistake. Uh, it's there's a danger, for example, of reducing the region uh, to the status of an icon. In a sense, in, in much cultural studies work recently, North Africa and especially Algeria, has been kind of elevated to the status of iconic uh, source for post-colonial thought. You know, the, the, the massive celebration of Fanon, for example, in North American cultural studies, um, and similarly the massive celebration of Asya Jabbar in Francophone uh, literary studies, at least the, more, the, more, the kind of sexier end, if you like, of Francophone literary studies. Um, this is exemplified in uh, Robert Young's uh, book, Postcolonialism and Historical Introduction, which is uh, not, not all that historical the work, in fact, despite its title, um, whose cover photo has the kind of iconic image of an Algerian woman in the Kasbah wearing a haik, you know, being, being threatened by a French uh, paratrooper with a machine gun. Um, and and that, I think, is a sort of elevation of Algeria in particular and the Maghreb in general uh, as a region that has a particularly kind of iconic status in the genesis of post-colonial thought, uh, which in fact reduces the history of the region to something uh, which is simplified and in a sense fetishized. And I think that's deeply unhelpful. Um, and, and indeed, the, the content of what actually happens in Algeria and in the Maghreb as a whole uh, even during the period of the crisis of decolonization, the, the revolutionary war of national independence, um, is often evacuated from much of that writing. It's as if Algeria kind of stands as a sort of empty signifier for kind of post-colonial sexiness and the subversion of Western metaphysics without anybody paying any serious attention to what uh, Algeria itself or the Maghreb itself uh, are all about. And the second danger in this sense, uh, in terms of everything being determined by the pre-colonial, colonial and post-colonial um, would I think be the danger of taking up again and again from the colonial period uh, an idea of Maghrebi history is being organised again through waves of migrations as a theme in terms of both real and metaphorical uh, invasions, uh, first from the north to the south, uh, whether the invasion of the Vandals or the invasion of the uh, French colonialists or the invasion of various Mediterranean settlers, <coughs> and then of course invasions from the south to the north, whether uh, of uh, Andalus in the uh, medieval period, or uh, today as uh, of migrant laborers and boatloads of trans-Saharan uh, clandestine immigrants to the Europe. 
Uh, this again, this idea of the Maghreb as a place of invasion, either receiving invasions or sending invasions, is, is a deeply unhelpful organizing category and one that, that needs to be avoided. But one that, that comes up very frequently and for fairly obvious reasons in terms of both news coverage and in terms of uh, academic sexiness in certain respects uh, for the way the, the region is sometimes thought about. So that's the first danger. The second danger is, is presentism. Um, the challenge of moving beyond the problem which was diagnosed by Abdul Arabi as long ago as 1977 of what he called all the distortions that have arisen from seeing the past in terms of the present. Um, and, and as Ludwig observed of both colonial and nationalist histories, he said, the structure and logic of the present become means of ordering the facts of the past, so providing a ready-made system of interpretation. End quote. Now that, of course, is, is not surprising, um, and that, uh, that this should happen in historiography is no longer at all surprising. Uh, in itself, of course, it enables some quite interesting work to be done on, on the history of history writing. Um, and the political significance of that, which itself is an interesting uh, subject for study for the Muslim. Um But strikingly, in the case of North Africa, it seems to me it hasn't generally been transcended uh, in the way I think it generally is transcended in other areas, it can be more easily transcended for other areas. Thirdly, the problem is uh, to, to write this history without reference to civilization as an organizing category. Again, if we go back to the caricature with which I began, for Basset or Pellard or for, for Bousquet or for other uh, French writers of the 50s and 60s, um, the idea of civilization as an organizing category through which to write what was particular or particularly lacking in the Maghreb um, was obviously a, 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 an almost intuitive and, 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 and unreflected upon point of reference that came uh, very naturally to people. Of course, it comes very naturally to, to much more critical writers in, very, uh, in, in other idioms as well. Think about the Algerian uh, intellectual Malik Benabi. This is, again, the organizing category around which his thought very much is, is framed. And I think the same problem occurs with that as occurs with the French colonial writing. Um, the, the totalizing nature of the category of civilization, uh, or the, the way in which you might think about North Africa as a hinge between civilizations, attempting to be more progressive about it, but yet falling back into this evocation of civilization as an organizing category, is itself a big problem. Um, there's also no help here, I think, to be sought from uh, more creative ideas of, for example, Andalusi Maghrebi civilization as a distinct, as a distinct uh, category. Uh, this, of course, is an idea uh, in some respects latent, but also uh, very potent in the work of Jacques Bach. Um, however interesting that might be, I think we need to get beyond religio-cultural parameters as a frame of reference as far as possible and think about something much more concrete. Uh, think about uh, social, economic, and indeed, as I'm going to argue in a moment, ecological uh, frames of reference uh, rather than religio-cultural ones. Why is that? I mean, let me say why that is. I mean, because the evocation of civilization, I think, as it always has, automatically implies or calls forth uh, a set of value judgments um, and a normative or a defensive register of writing, normative for, for people like Vesir, Basin and, and, and Pellard, defensive uh, and then reassertive, but also very, uh, very problematic in the case of similar <coughs> um, A normative or defensive register of writing that's unable to evaluate or explain the elements of Maghreb history without, again, relying on an external frame of reference, some sort of, some sort of idea of a, single, of a single religio-cultural frame of reference thought of in very simplified civilizational terms as the frame into which the Maghreb is somehow uh, situated. That, I think, we need to avoid. Um, and fourth, the fourth danger is what I call the Ibn Khaldun problem. Um, the Ibn Khaldun problem is uh, why Ibn Khaldun is great and why he isn't. Uh, 
Inchel Dun is often referred to, again, almost intuitively and without thinking about it very much by writers on North Africa, um, as if, because Ibn Khaldun was the first person to, in fact, give this particular region of the world a model of historical change of its own, we still need to refer to 14th and 14th century, uh, 14th century uh, thinking as if it explained everything that has ever happened there. Um, that obviously is problematic and wouldn't happen elsewhere, but because of the particular intellectual stature of Ibn Khaldun, um, it does still happen in writing on the moment. Ibn Khaldun, of course, is great and a very interesting uh, figure and, and a great... Uh, thinker because of his particular insights in terms of the deep structures of historical change. Um, in that respect, he's great. Uh, he's not great because he tells us anything about the deep structures of sociological and historical change in the Maghreb any later than about 1405. Um, indeed, as Peter von Siebus long ago argued in an article in Oabaca in 1980, um, Ibn Khaldun's model in the context of his own time, in the context of the end of the great nomadic empire building uh, that was associated with people up, and up to and including Timur, uh, Ibn Khaldun's contemporary who died the year before him, Tamerlane in English. Um, Ibn Khaldun's own thesis was, was fantastic, if you like, for explaining certain patterns of change, particularly in the Maghreb, in that period, but completely useless for explaining anything that came afterwards with the rise of uh, gunpowder, uh, with the rise of the, um, the gunpowder armed infantry uh, based on uh, sedentary peasant and urban uh, uh, inhabitants, and the, the end of nomadic empire building, which of course uh, came to an end uh, exactly around the time that Ibn Khaldun died in, in world historical terms. Von Siebus argued right back in 1980 that, that the, the whole point of Ibn Khaldun's uh, theory was, in Von Siebus' words, flawed right from the start, and never became the universal instrument of historical interpretation, which Ibn Khaldun had announced it as being. So if that's true for Maghreb history in, say, the 15th century when Nicodun himself died, much less is the Khaldunian model any use for understanding Maghreb history and sociology in more recent times. And the persistent reference to Ibn Khaldun as providing a relevant model, for example, the idea of Asabiya, Ibn Khaldun's group, the group, group feeling or solidarity, as an explanation for political factionalism, which you sometimes find in recent works of political science dealing with the Algerian regime. Um, or the cyclical historical movement as a constantly replicated pattern, which again you sometimes find in works on Maghreb history. In some recent scholarship is, I think, um, pretty damning evidence of the vacuity of new thinking on the subject of it as a whole and the absence of new thinking on the subject as a whole. So <coughs> when Ibn Khaldun is, is evoked, uh, alarm bells should go off. That's the Ibn Khaldun. <laughs> so that's the problem. Um, how have we, how, how have people have, um, me and my colleagues and other people writing in, in this field, um, dealt with it uh, over the last few decades? Well, let me give a very quick survey of, of Maghreb historiography and, and the trends in the, in the field, as it were, since, since about the 70s. Um, there, there only exist in English three general histories of the region written since decolonization, and I'm sure it's just familiar to, to, to a lot of people in, in the room. Um, Jimmy Abdel Nasser's uh, History of the Maghreb in the Islamic Period, uh, a book originally in 1971 and then uh, a, new, a new version of it in 1987. A very political, state-centred, very traditional kind of historical writing uh, oriented around a dynastic history, uh, very, very useful, very, uh, very uh, detailed, certainly almost impossible to read, certainly impossible to assign to undergraduates. Um, uh, and a very, very traditional, very, uh, in a sense, conservative, state-centred, domestic kind of historical writing. Abdul Alawi's uh, 
interpret of essay on the history of the Maghreb of 1977, in which more social and intellectual history. And combined with a lot of his other work, exploring and from a more cultural and intellectual uh, aspect, what he thought of as a problem of the cultural lag of the region requiring to be made good in the modern period. And much more recently, uh, Philip Naylor's uh, 2009 history of North Africa from antiquity to the present day. Uh, what he announces is a cultural, or in his terms, a transcultural history, seeking to place the, the, the region, uh, including slightly idiosyncratically in this case, Egypt, uh, in uh, a frame of analysis that will enable uh, the contemporary uh, Anglophone reader to situate North Africa <coughs> within a wider narrative of Western civilizational history. Uh, a problematic term again that I'll come back to in a moment. So those are basically, if you want to, if you want to. Tell your friends what to read on North African history, or, or you know, someone asks you what can I read in English on North Africa, let alone if you're trying to set up a university course on North African history. Uh, this is what you have to deal with, uh, and it's, off, it's also it's, it's, off, it's very, very obviously somewhat problematic. <coughs> more generally, and in terms of the more specialised literature, uh, there are three areas of historiographical activity that, that I think are worth attention. Um, first of all, trends within French history, especially more recently. Um, with the relatively late uh, arrival of, of the post-colonial turn in French historical studies uh, and the interest in uh, a revival of interest in French colonial and imperial history that's happened both within France and in particular in the writing of French history in North America. Um, most notable here is a book by Todd Shepard, The Invention of Decolonization, that came out a few years ago, which is about the impact of the Algerian War on the uh, French Fifth Republic and on contemporary French political history. Secondly, there are particular areas of very productive scholarship, obviously I'm just going to talk about this very briefly, in Britain and in, in Europe and in the, in the US. Um, the political history of Algeria and of the Algerian Revolution, especially uh, revived recently by a new generation of scholars working in France, especially since the, the, the relative liberalisation of access to French military archives in the 1990s, um, but also in the UK and the US, uh, people like uh, uh, Matt Connolly at Columbia, uh, Neil McMaster, Martin Evans, uh, British historians have recently brought out important books on the Algerian War of Independence. Anthropology, of course, especially is practiced in the United States and especially is practiced in Morocco by American anthropologists. Uh, political scientists who work on Tunisia uh, and Jewish history, in particular, uh, from Morocco and Algeria, uh, which has become a, a, a very significantly, I think, reinvigorated field in the last few years. Lots of new dissertations in progress on the Jewish history, in particular the 19th century and 20th century Morocco and Algeria. Uh, and especially, again, of course, colonial history. Uh, in, the, uh, in the wake of the work done in the 1990s on, uh, on uh, imperial history from below and so on, civil <coughs> studies in South Asia being applied to other areas, um, especially looking at the 19th century, much less than the 20th century, but lots of new work on the 19th century in the colonial period. Thirdly, within the region, um, obviously, uh, Maghrebi historiography is also written by Maghrebis. For a long time, it was common in English to write that you know all these problems would be solved once North Africans wrote their own history. And of course, North Africans have been writing their own history for a long time, um, both in professional positions outside the Maghreb um, and within the region. And within the region, there is, of course, a large and active historical community. There's a lot of work being done on Ottoman history, for example, in Algiers and Constantine. Uh, various centres in Tunisia, uh, the Tamimi Foundation in Zahwan, it's also done a lot of work on pre-colonial history. Um, various uh, more or less uh, university-centred uh, and official centres of research that produce lots of uh, research, particularly in Tunis. On urban social history, on the history of the Baylical Court in Tunis, on the Hussainid period. There's a particular, across the region, and, in, and this is true in Morocco and in Algeria as well as in Tunisia, um, 
the prevalence of locality, uh, local studies on local areas, local rural histories, local urban histories, but generally fairly central localities, especially cities, like the history of Algiers, the history of Tunis, um, history of Fez and Marrakesh, of course, uh, sort of secondary, as it were, but still very important places like Tlemcen, much less, much less visible in the literature, uh, let alone uh, mountainous areas or, or rural areas uh, that are more difficult uh, to, to conduct fieldwork in and where it's harder to, to, to get a sense of pre-colonial local history. Um, and locality in particular understood in terms of distinct national experiences, okay, so, so local, local history written into the national narrative, still very much, I think, the, the, the dominant uh, tendency. And local histories that are relatively rarely connected regionally, except in very general terms. Um, so very little work done within the region that enables a, a, a sense to be gained of what Maghreb historians are writing about the Maghreb as a whole. Okay, lots of Maghreb historians writing very specific uh, localised studies, but ones that are not generally linked up across the region. And this is despite the increased mobility of researchers within the region, especially since the end of the 90s. Um, and what are often very productive cooperative programmes uh, between different university institutions in the region, very cooperative, brilliant programmes, for example, between the University of Tunis and various centres for research in, in Algeria, especially in Wahran, the uh, Centre for Research on uh, Social and Cultural Anthropology in Wahran, that does a lot of work with, with other Maghrebi colleagues elsewhere. So lots of South-South cooperation, as it were, but not a lot of South-South cooperation that produces very linked-up South-South histories. Um, instead, people tend to work on their own country, and they tend to work on their own country without really taking off the blinkers and seeing what's going on next door. Um, that's very largely the case, I think, and it's also very difficult, I suspect, for people to do otherwise. So what we see in, in contemporary historical literature and in the historiographical production that's going on now in general, I think, and these are obviously all relatively uh, impressionistic observations, um, what we see remains very fragmentary and at the same time highly totalised. Totalised, that is, within national frameworks, within imperial or colonial history, sometimes in a sense a kind of restated, if critical, nonetheless restated imperial history, that is, things like the trend in, uh, in French historiography of bringing Algeria back in to French history, okay, people like Todd Shepard and others, who, if you like, are bringing Algeria back into modern French history. The problem with that, to my mind, is from a Maghreb history perspective, is that uh, the, the lesson that one learns from that is that the Maghreb is important because of what it means to France, okay, rather than for what it means to itself. Um, and in a sense, uh, really big, important interventions in other areas too, like Rashid Bouchereb's film Andigène, that caused such a stir in 2006 when it came out in France, are, are, are in that same vein. You know, what, what Maghrebis did historically is important because of what it means to France, rather than for, because of what it means for, for, for the Maghreb. So the literature um, operates with, uh, and is written within analytical frameworks that are still dependent to some degree on varieties of grand narrative, as it were, that have been more or less critiqued and taken apart elsewhere. Varieties of views of modernization or developmentalism, uh, of, of uh, national state building. Uh, and within the region, ones that are often dependent on sometimes fairly tight frameworks of what might be called the usable or the, maybe the allowable past, what it is that people are allowed, as it were, to work on privileging particular areas or people or groups, primarily in terms of what can be reckoned to be their contribution to the national struggle, also more or less flattened out, more or less teleologically determined nationalist narrative. Now this by no means exhausts the possibilities of what work can be or is being done by dedicated professional scholars in lots of different places, but it still does seem to be true to a considerable degree. Now much of this is obviously very important and very productive. Um, 
Uh, and it's certainly true that much more history of North Africa is written now than was 20 or 30 years ago uh, in French and in Arabic and in, and in English. Um, but it doesn't, I think, help us to address the problem with which I began. So how might we do better? The various trends in recent historical scholarship, uh, particularly as written in English, but more generally, <coughs> that might be drawn on to help us address some of the problems that I began by uh, sketching out, and that might help us overcome some of the limitations that I've suggested exist in most of the historical writing on the region uh, that's existed since about the 1970s. First of all, obviously, the move has been underway for quite some time beyond, as it were, colonialism and nationalism to cite a, a collection of articles on the region that came out in the, in the 90s. Um, historical scholarship is increasingly transnational and global in scope and in character. Uh, historians are increasingly looking at connections, at movement, at circulation and mobility, at areas understood uh, no longer in national terms, even less in civilizational ones, but in, in terms of reconceived big geographical history, the Atlantic, the Indian Ocean world, Southeast Asia, the contiguous zones of Northeast Africa and the Arabian Peninsula, uh, of West Africa and the Atlantic world, of the Mediterranean as a historical space, even of things like the British world, the new kind of sexy term in British imperial historiography, <coughs> thinking of uh, a British world system, as it were. These studies focus on large bodies of water, on trade routes, on long-term patterns or imperial systems of communication, on people and commodities that are carried along those routes and through those systems, and on the interactions and transformations that they undergo along the way. This is a, a move generally in scholarship that now focuses more on the global, on cross-regional interactive histories in which North Africa, as a hinge at the edge of three continents, can in some sense easily and productively be placed. So it's very easy, in a sense, to, to latch onto this kind of the, the rise of global history and anglophone historical writing over the last few years and say, well, this is where well, North Africa can very obviously and easily be, be placed. North Africa is a very obvious um, global region in that sense. It sits very interestingly, very productively between three continents. It's obviously a part of various imperial systems. Um, it's a, a crossroads culturally in terms of quantities, in terms of labour flows. It can easily and productively be placed within this, uh, this kind of history. But I wonder if this approach might risk misconstruing North Africa's own particularities. Um, how might regional and global histories together best account for North Africa's place? in world history, as well as its own particular specificity. <coughs> and strikingly, the only attempt to do this in the literature to date, uh, which is Philip Naylor's book that I uh, referred to earlier, his 2009 uh, very general survey history of North Africa since antiquity, which is admittedly a textbook interpretive history and not an attempt at rethinking North Africa's place in world history more generally. Um, Philip, after setting out his stall on what he calls transcultural history, in fact, falls back into civilizational units of analysis, um, taken, I think, relatively unproblematically as his focus. And his claim for the significance of North Africa, his kind of, you know, his claim for why students should be interested in this area, why the general reader should care about North Africa, uh, rests largely on an argument that the region, since antiquity, in his phrase, significantly contributed to the development and expansion of Western civilization. Um, a claim which I think is problematic, and even if it were true, probably not the claim you'd want to make if you were to persuade all of the historical significance. This is an attempt to bring the migrant back in, as it were, from its decidedly peripheral geographical and curricular location 
to make it meaningful, uh, but making it meaningful in this case makes it part of Western service taught to North American undergraduates. Um, now, you might be able to see why this is, in a sense, laudable and progressive as an aim, uh, but fundamentally it's also another restatement of the same problem that was critiqued by Lattery back in the 70s, that I mentioned earlier. Can we perhaps think more subtly? Can perhaps a more subtle comparative global history be brought to bear on the region without collapsing back into totalizing or assimilative claims about, I don't know, St. Augustine as an ancestor of Western consciousness, or as Ibn Khaldun as a founding father of sociology, or as the Algerian Revolution as torchbearer of popular struggle in Afro-Asia? Can we say something more interesting, in other words, than all of that? All of those things might be true, but these aren't, I think, the terms in which the value of North Africa to broader historical understanding or terms in which a broader historical understanding of North Africa is best expressed. Far from it. A better example of a more recent attempt to locate North Africa within patterns of larger global history um, is another uh, very recent book, Judy Clancy Smith's Mediterraneans, uh, a history of population flows across the Mediterranean in the 19th century, looking at the city of Tunis as uh, a very important uh, location in the great 19th century story of migration. Uh, across the world. An attempt to put North Africa within that story, within a larger history of what Julia calls complex population displacements and peoplings then taking place on a global scale. So we're thinking about the European migration, what's usually of course written within the history of, of colonialism, of colonization, as part of a bigger, more problematic history of Europeans moving to all kinds of new places in the 19th century and, and, and not only Europeans uh, as usually considered because of course many of the people that Francis uh, Smith's interested in are those who were in the 19th century thought of by uh, northern Europeans as not quite European. There's a southern uh, people from southern Spain, from uh, the, uh, the Mediterranean islands, from Greece, from, uh, from the Balkans, uh, from southern Italy. Uh, poor uh, migrants to the North African coast before the onset of formal colonial rule in Tunisia uh, who eke out interesting and often my, uh, marginal subversive uh, uh, morally suspect forms of life uh, in uh, this teeming uh, cosmopolis, uh, which makes it a very interesting, uh, again, quite sexy history. Um, but here, again, North Africa, and specifically in uh, Francis Smith's case, Tunis, between about 1800 and 1881, is a theatre for particular local instantiations of global developments. And here, specifically, the and here particularly the specificity of North Africa, again, is getting lost. What, after all, is it that makes 19th century Tunis different from, say, Izmir or Salonika or Bombay or Shanghai? Obviously, it is different, uh, but if you want to write the story in global terms in that sense, it seems to me that we need to know in what sense it is more than just another theatre for some very interesting uh, global developments. So can we suggest an alternative? Um, there are two ideas, I think, that come from broader comparative global history that might help. Ideas that have, in one way or another, often in fact been applied to the region, but not usually within an explicitly comparative global perspective, as well as within a specifically regional one. Uh, and ideas that, to my knowledge, haven't generally been combined to attempt to produce any kind of dynamic historical model of pattern change within the region over the very long term. And these are two ideas going back to, to territory. Uh, that is, to look, to think in terms of units of analysis, since we have to have some kind of organising frame of reference, of islands and frontiers. The Maghreb that is thought of as a connected series of islands, a very old idea going back of course to medieval Arabic geography, which is the island or the islands of the west. And the Maghreb is an extended frontier zone, 
and I want to sketch out in the last few minutes that remain to me um, how we might more productively use these ideas together to think of the history of illusion as a whole beyond some of the problems that I've, that I've tried to identify. The Maghreb is insular. What, what would that mean? Well, again, there's an obvious trap to avoid falling into. Um, this again means not North Africa is a series of historical isolates. A series of island environments, rather, with differing degrees of connectedness within and between themselves and across the seas to their north, their south, and their east. And uh, the, uh, the handout that went round, of which there are too few copies, but hopefully there are some around that you can look at it. I, I borrow this from uh, my former colleague at Princeton, Brent Shaw, who's a history of, of ancient North Africa, from a lecture he gave in Oxford in 2005, uh, thinking precisely in terms of the location of the Maghreb within Mediterranean history, in terms of its, uh, the way in which it can be thought of as a series of island environments comparable to the other island environments to the north. Uh, uh, the Malacca, uh, the Eastern and Central Maghreb, and the Maghreb Lhasa, uh, as in a sense analogous to spaces like uh, Cyprus or uh, Sicily or Sardinia. Now, here it's, it's fairly obvious, there's an obvious term to geography here, or rather not so much to geography or historical geography as to space more broadly conceived. Maritime space. Uh, as well as obviously in itself, in very obvious, direct, straightforward terms, the Mediterranean, but also as a metaphor. How Mediterranean is the Maghreb? Uh, how much part of the Mediterranean world is North Africa? How helpful is it to think about North Africa as part of the Mediterranean world? And indeed, how useful uh, is the Mediterranean <coughs> history as an organising category of, of thought in itself, of course. It's, it's often been a, a much more ideological than a historical construct. And how Saharan is the Maghreb? Again, the Sahara itself often sits at the periphery of a periphery, on the edge of North Africa, not, not really an object of study for anybody, not even people who look at North Africa, let alone people who look at Sub-Saharan Africa. But the Sahara itself, I think, has distinct patterns of historical uh, uh, cohesiveness and, and, and distinct patterns of historical change uh, that might help us think about uh, the Maghreb as the region uh, which sits between the Sahara and the sea, between the desert and the sea. It's also geographically obvious that North Africa as a region sits between two contiguous geographical, cultural, and economic masses, the Sahara to the south and those to the north. It mediates between them and is in itself fashioned by both of them. The western and central Mediterranean with its connections to southern Europe and the Mashuk on the one hand, and the Sahara with its connections to Egypt, the Sahel, and Africa south of Sahara on the other. But we might also perhaps make an argument for the historical, the historical, specifically historical relevance of this. That is, for decentering to some extent, to some degree, the urban, rural, dynastic, or state-centered emphasis of older historiographies of various kinds, such as that still present in Jimmy Lovenos's work, in which the duality between the city and the plain, as Fabian Khaldun, or between the indigenous population and foreign invaders, as in much other work, is placed uppermost. And looking instead at spaces of habitation and how they're constituted ecologically and how they relate to each other across both space and time. The islands of the Maghreb. In, the other, in other words, make sense historically as interfaces between the neighbouring seas to the north and the south. The coastal strip that's always been thought of as this, 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 periphery, this peripheral space, not really African, not really Middle Eastern, can be thought of more productively as a transitional zone, not only ecologically, and of course the fact that, the, that, that, that North Africa is a transitional zone ecologically is very obvious. If you, if you travel, for example, from, from the southern Ores through the north, uh, to north of Constantine, uh, there's a very obvious ecological transition zone through which one travels. Um, but this is also true historically. That is, we can think of this area as a historical area, not simply 
passively washed by tides from elsewhere, but is actively constituting itself over the long term through the interaction of movements and settlements of population with the landscape. Um, something which is obvious when you say it like that, but hasn't ever, as far as I'm aware, been made uh, a basis for historical investigation in the region as a whole. And the constitution of space through the interaction of movements and settlements of population with the landscape could be looked at from patterns of seasonal nomadism established from at least the 11th and 12th centuries through the intensive colonization in the non-political sense used elsewhere in African history of, for example, Kabylia or the High Atlas through to the accelerated urbanization of the 20th century. It's a way of writing these histories together that might make more sense than what we uh, have had up to date. So the Maghreb is a chain of islands <coughs> as a transition zone between the desert and the sea, or the sitting, if you like, in uh, where two seas meet, the Sahara and the Mediterranean. Uh, and therefore also a receiving zone, uh, which takes us back, I suppose, to Bessie, Bessie and, and, and to Pelat, the idea of uh, the Maghreb as a zone which receives influence from elsewhere, a zone of transition through which things flow. But a, but a very dynamic one. Uh, and again, I go back here to Brent Shaw's work on uh, antiquity in North Africa, his idea that uh, North Africa may be a space relatively bounded by all of those mountains that cut it off from the Mediterranean, by the, sea, by the Sahara that cut it off from the south, by all those mountains that cut it off internally, that, that divide these ecological regions from each other. But nonetheless, um, into which ideas, people, uh, cultural practices are injected, and where they're very rapidly, very uh, creatively adopted, adapted, taken up and turned into something new. Think, for example, of the, dynam the dynamism and the importance of, of the church in North Africa in the 4th and 5th centuries. Uh, the extent to which in the late Roman Empire, North Africa is the, the, the part of the empire that produces the largest and most significant number of bishops. Also, the extent to which in, early Islamic, in the early Islamic period, uh, North Africa is productive of uh, a, a large number of important political and other movements. So the intensity of the adoption and the adaptation of cultural and political patterns that are injected into the region by its relations with the outside. Obviously, here in cultural terms, we can re-import Christianity and Islam as religio-cultural systems, but not ones that simply determine things in static systems, rather as uh, contents of the region that are, uh, that are made subject to dynamic uh, change rather than being uh, forces of, of stasis one way or another. And also a zone that redirects cultural, religious, political, and commercial energy back outwards the Fatimids to Egypt, the Almoravids into Spain, traders into West African, uh, into the West African Sahel. In contemporary times, political crisis to France in the 1950s, labor and hydrocarbons to Southern Europe, wine and couscous to the world. And this brings us to the second idea. Um, the Maghreb is a frontier or it's a borderland zone. And again, meaning what? And again, there's a trap to avoid. Um, and the trap, of course, is thinking of the Maghreb as a frontier simply in the sense of a, uh, a frontier zone, uh, of, a frontier of conflict. Uh, Andrew Hess, in his important book, The Forgotten Frontier on uh, the Western Mediterranean in the 16th century, um, wrote about North Africa as a frontier zone as the exception in the 16th century to Fernand Bordel's positive Mediterranean unity, a frontier of friction, a frontier of conflict between Habsburgs and the Ottomans. Um, but, of course, frontiers don't just divide, they also connect and across the 16th century age of, of, of uh, the forgotten frontier of Hess was also the age of someone like Leo Africanus, a, a productive boundary crosser, boundary straddler, uh, reinventor of himself. Um, and here again, Mediterranean, Sahara, and Africa can be thought of as contiguous and interpenetrating zones. The north, 
uh, northern shores of the Mediterranean, the islands of the western Mediterranean, France, Italy, also Spain, Middle Europe, Sardinia, and Sicily, on the one hand, and the Arab Islamic world, the Middle East, the Ottoman Empire, and the Muslim western Mediterranean before and after 1492, perhaps counterintuitively might be rethought as hinterlands of North Africa as a dynamic centre in its own right, a frontier zone as again the interface of what have often been conflictual but have more generally been, in many ways, interrelated zones of state formation, culture, trade, the movement of people and ideas. So North Africa, in this sense, becomes a hinge, not of bracketed continental units, as it were, simply a space that sits at the kind of empty centre where African, Middle Eastern and European histories as entirely different and indeed usually opposed stories intersect, usually conflictually. Outside of each of them, uh, North Africa has somehow uneasily sit. Uh, and easily sat. Uh, instead of that, and, and also in, instead of course of thinking about these things as civilizational systems with, 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 where North Africa sits simply at the point of friction between uh, kind of bounded entities of Islam and the West, but also of course is not helpful. But instead they become spaces of territory and population. North Africa then is the interface of flows of capital, commodities, culture, labor and ideas, <coughs> as well as of violence and coercive force. Well, do these, do these ideas, in any sense, uh, add up to a way of helping us think about what might be a patterning of the distinctly but not uniquely migratory past? Um, I, don't, I don't yet know, and maybe you can tell me. Um, what I think this does give us, at least potentially, is that the idea of the region as a group of islands allows us to think about the region relative to similar ecological zones elsewhere, within the Mediterranean, other island environments, but also, for example, Southeast Asia, a region to which North Africa is not usually compared. The region is a frontier zone, again, allows us to think about North Africa in a productive set of other comparative contexts relative to similar frontier or borderland zones elsewhere, Southern Africa, for example, or Latin America, or Inner Asia. It also allows us to escape old binaries and old models, either the old dynastic cyclical history from Imkhodun to Jimmy Rabbul Nasser, um, or the old models of colonizer following colonizer and, uh, and endless conflict of invader and resistance that continues to, to dominate much of the historiography. It might then be a way of capturing the content of North African history and discerning it as a pattern over the very long run that allows us to say something about the region's place in the world in terms of what North African history is, rather than in terms of what it isn't. And that at least would be the hope. Thank you. James, thank you very much. It's time for questions. Um, please will you address your questions through me and, um, and tell me who you are and what you are uh, b before you ask your question. And, um, and James, I'm sure, will do his best to answer them all. And um, perhaps um, he seems to be asking you a question. I hope, I hope you've all got lots of very good ideas about what North African history is. Who would like to start? much for your lecture. It was really interesting. You had said you weren't going to Daniel, say anything. Daniel, you were going to say anything. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm Daniel from the Middle East. Um, you had said you weren't going to say anything interesting, and it was very interesting. And my question is... quite that. <laughs> I wasn't paid to say it. Um, what accounts for this lack of imagination in, in history making with North Africa? Um, it just, it's very striking when you lay it out the way you have that it... it I mean, the Ibn Khaldun problem made me chuckle because I've read so many histories where, where Ibn Khaldun is referred to. Why this lack of imagination? 
Do you want, do you want to collect questions? Or no, we'll, we'll take them one at a time. Um, I wish I knew, um, and I don't know. Um, tell me my tough ideas. Uh, sorry. Uh, uh, I, I, I suspect this has to do with, well, partly if I'm the Imkhaldun problem, it has to do with the status of Imkhaldun. Right? When you've got someone as huge as Imkhaldun, that, that's, that's obviously a problem. Uh, because you kind of can't ignore him and yet you want to use him and yet there is no productive way of doing so. Um, and and this is true not, I mean this is true not just of Imkhaldun, okay, but of, but of lots of other things too. I mean a, a lot of enormously productive <coughs> theoretical work in all kinds of disciplines comes out in North Africa. Think about Bourdieu, think about Geertz, um, uh, you know, the way that particular studies of Kabyle ethnography come to form the, 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 the basis for a whole theory uh, uh, in terms of human sexual relations with Bourdieu, the way in which uh, particular things about a particular place in Morocco, which he seems to have got almost completely wrong, in fact, in Gates' case, in, in, in Islam Observed, um, comes to, you know, be very productive for lots of other areas. Um, and 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 also Ernest Gellner's work, right, on uh, on nations and nationalism, to to a large extent, very much inspired by the stuff that he was seeing in, in Algeria in the in the seventies. Um, so there were lots and lots of very big intellectual models that have been generated out of the region, but none of them, it seems to me, have been able to to be applied in a in a in a helpful way for the region. Either applied elsewhere, and the region gets left behind. It's kind of you know, the Kabyle ethnography is part of the genealogy of Bourdieu's ideas, but it doesn't, doesn't, it doesn't go anywhere after that. Um, or, they're, or, they're, or they're reapplied in this very static, unhelpful, uh, reiterative way, as is the case with Imkhulu. Um So partly it's because people start out in North Africa and then they go elsewhere. Okay. Um, it's, it's, a, it's a very privileged terrain, it's a very privileged field in which very productive ideas are produced. Um, and then the people who produce the ideas go on and become very famous and talk about other stuff, uh, and North Africa ceases to be important for them. Um, and then I guess because of the, gen more general, the more general, more basic problem that North Africa is just an under-researched area. Right? The, 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 the relative lack of a critical mass of scholarship that could talk to each other, to, that could talk, that could set up interesting dialogues you know, within a kind of field of North African studies, which, which hasn't ever really existed. Um, Except in particular ways at particular times. I mean, there was a there was a very distinct field of North African studies in the French colonial period, but of course that had a whole, whole set of problems associated with it. Um, you know, you could become a professor at the College of France or the Sorbonne, you know, if you're Stéphane Sell or, or Jacques Berck, but um, but but that that moment was a very particular moment, and of course it was it never had a, a, a an effective institutional successor. Um, so, I mean, in short, I don't know. I think these are some these are some of the reasons, right? Um, I think that the fact that uh, the region remains institutionally peripheral within Anglophone, say, African studies and Middle Eastern studies is, is certainly part of the problem, but it's not part of those big methodological institutional debates that go on about the big questions in, say, African history or in, say, Middle Eastern history, because it doesn't quite fit, again. Um, and one needs to find ways of making it. This is why I'm trying to, to what, this is the point of trying to think about a framework that would allow us to have dialogues across other areas. I think it might be more productive, for example, to talk to historians in Southeast Asia. Yeah. Um, uh, or, or of, of, say, West Africa. Um, but uh, the, the extent to which 
the Maghrib as a periphery of two big area studies uh, institutions within academia uh, has, I think, been a big part of the problem. Kenneth Brown, a uh, former uh, uh, Don Manchester. Uh, thanks very much for very stimulating. Uh, I have a few uh, questions, remarks. Um, when I was struck by the uh, comparison in your approach with uh, Brodel on the Mediterranean, who uses a geographical, talks about Spain as an island, yeah. and yeah. other yeah. islands, and so on. And uh, I think that there's a uh, something uh, comparable uh, there. Uh, secondly, uh, you know much more than I do about the tendency in American studies in world history now that in fact uh, Clancy Smith is involved in but it's curious that uh, uh, so many Maghrebi specialists are involved Edmund yeah. Burke, Ross Dunn, Von Silvers and so yeah. on and I wonder how they uh, I haven't seen uh, the, uh, you know, how they actually present yeah. their world history yeah. uh, curriculum and, uh, and so on. Uh, I myself am involved in, a, in an attempt uh, to do a study, a kind of Jacques Berg, Le, Ma the, the, the Magra between the two wars, mm -hmm. which is quite uh, uh, in the line of taking bits and pieces from all over and trying to make some sort of coherence out of, uh, uh, out of, of uh, the Maghreb, at least in, in that uh, period. Uh, and I'm trying to do it by looking uh, at uh, five cities, uh, that is, that are all on the Mediterranean, Tangier, uh, Oran, uh, Tunis, Tripoli, and the fifth, which I really insist on, because I feel that this cutoff of the Maghreb is so uh, uh, bad, really, for teaching, is Alexandria. Uh, to cut across, I mean, Alexandria is on the Mediterranean. It uh, has so much in common. And what I want to see is uh, the commonalities and the differences between. Now, there was one. Uh, uh, term you used in passing that I, uh, I, I reacted against, and that was the essentialism of looking yeah. at uh, one, uh, one place, or you know, oh, yeah. I happen to have written a thesis on a place, so I have. Uh, so uh, I think this uh, kind of uh, uh, focus on one place is extremely interesting for opening up uh, specifics that go much further uh, and differences. So the contrast comparison, I mean, is the way that I would go about. Also, of course, the Arab Spring has opened up in the popular and the political uh, discourse a tremendous recognition of the Maghreb. It started in Tunisia and it went back to Libya uh, afterwards. And now you hear Obama talking, it's not the Middle East, but it's the Middle East and North Africa, and in the political discourse in general. Uh, now, a couple of just tiny anecdotes that, for me, point to the problem of the of 
how to, you know, as an anthropologist, or to a historian and who wants to do something general. Uh, I met Tara Jaut, who was one of the first people assassinated by the uh, GEI in uh, Algeria at the beginning of the Civil War. And uh, he said the problem, he was assassinated because he took a clear position against the Islamists. He had a newspaper around Farafield. So the problem with the Islamists is that uh, they want to deny the existence of Algeria in the same way that French colonialism denied the existence of Algeria. Uh, that is to say, uh, the French said there's no such thing as the Algerian uh, nation uh, state. Uh, it was uh, Ottoman and uh, now it's uh, being settled by uh, uh, and the French citizenship is going to be offered and so on. And he said, uh, uh, the Islamists do the same thing. They say there's no Algeria, there's only the Mohammedan Ummah. And he said, and I'm a living example of the contradiction of this. There is an Algeria. I'm a Berber. My mother tongue first is Berber, but it's, I'm also bilingual in Arabic. My education is in French. I'm a Muslim by education, but I'm secular. And all of these things are what Algeria is all about. I represent it. The second anecdote is about a new film that's just come out in France called El Gusto. Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah. And it's about shabby music. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's uh, uh, what the Algerian... I met some Algerian Alger uh, musicians who were very much opposed to this, and the Algerian government refused to support the financing of this film because the film tries to show from the, what they say is a French perspective uh, that uh, Algerian uh, mu Shabi music, because it's about the Shabi music, uh, was uh, uh, participated in, was a Judeo-Arab uh, culture. And that's totally false, because Shabi was Arab, and Hausi was Jewish. And there are two different types of music altogether. And the great Hausi singer uh, uh, from, uh, from Oran, Renata, was once interviewed about Judeo-Arabic music. She said, it's not Judeo-Arabic, it's Arab Andalusian. So that whole thing of Andalusia, uh, Algeria, and the competition and so on. So those are some sort of scattered remarks, but stimulated by... Focus, focus them into a sharp question and uh, make James answer it. Uh, well, I, I could come back on a few things. Maybe we should take some more questions though, before we run out of We can do that if you wish. Would, would anyone like to add, to add their yeah. voice and, and ask another question? Sam. Well, you, you asked... You've got to say who you are. Uh, Sami Zubeda. Um, yes. Uh, well, first of all, on uh, the Ibn Khaldun question, yeah, I've often wondered, but of course, one aspect of it is the, uh, the nativist quest, yeah. the idea that, uh, you know, we social uh, sciences Indeed, all sciences uh, are not just um, modern European, yeah. but you know, we have, yeah. uh, there's a, uh, a, an Arab-Muslim uh, heritage to it, and Ibn Khaldun, you know, I 
was, was once asked by a, a Moroccan student about my opinion of uh, uh, child psychology in Ibn Khaldun. And, uh, I was at a loss. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I think it's that kind of, you know, the idea, you know, we've got his, uh, he's the yeah. father of yeah. sociology sure. of uh, history and so on, you know. But I think, I, I mean, I agree with you that, in fact, and of course, people like Ernest Kellner, who, who took up Ibn Khaldun mm -hmm. in order to build yeah. their own uh, uh, theories. Um, that, that's one. The other thing is about you know the, your, the, the sort of the fascinating subject of your lecture, the the pattern of the past. Um, and I, I kept thinking, you know, I mean, if you look at how people conceived of these territorial and political entities at different points in the past, um, then often perhaps they're not, they didn't see North Africa as a whole, or the Maghreb as a whole, but uh, you know, they were different entities, you know, I mean Morocco for instance uh, was for a long time uh, considered uh, as both territorial and, and political uh, entity and by the Moroccan elites, but also by the Europeans. Um, Algeria, um, both Algiers and Tunis, at least in Ottoman concepts, were cities. Yes, they were not countries. You know, the cities were the hinterland. Yes. So you know, you had the base. The Ottoman base of Algiers and of, of Tunis, who ruled the cities and a little bit of the hinterland. And so, in a sense, especially Algeria was perhaps a, a, a colonial, uh, a colonial accomplishment rather than a, you know, that. Uh, um, so I'm just, and of course there is the point about Spain, you know, for one part of, uh, for an important part of the history of uh, Morocco and also other parts of the Maghreb, uh, it was very closely connected with Spain and Andalusia and so on, and was conceived, you know, when the Arabs then spoke about the Maghreb, uh, they meant, they meant Spain as well as, as uh, uh, so uh, I I don't know, I'm just going on, but the, the point I suppose I'm making is would it be useful uh, to break up this entity of North Africa or the Maghreb, uh, both in terms of uh, time and in terms of uh, geography, and see you know, how different parts of it uh, were conceived as patterns in, in the past. Yeah. Thanks. Could I, could I butt in and, and ask a, a chairmanly chairmanly question. I, I, mean, I, I think in the general spirit, um, um, when you were telling us what to avoid, you, you were very much couching what to avoid in very general terms. Mm -hmm. Charnière um, um, de civilisation for mm -hmm. a start, and, um, and uh, seeing the Maghreb in terms of successive waves of migration. But your, your counterblast seems also couched in extraordinarily general terms. Yes, you're, you're talking in terms of a sort of very general, what in, in modern terms you, you call a sort of geopolitical 
consideration of, of the Maghreb and how it works. And um, I just wonder, and I wonder if I'm slightly echoing um, what Sami Zubeda just said, which is what prompted me to open my mouth. Um, um, I, I just wonder at, at this stage in, in the history, in the writing of the history of the Maghreb, what, what one wants is more the sort of depth of detailed studies, perhaps written by people from the countries that they're writing about, in the sense that um, um, European history has very much developed through an enormous weight of detailed studies of, of, of English history by English historians, French history by French historians, yes. huge mountains of detail on which sort of general ideas can be poised. And that is perhaps lacking. Um, the, the last time I was in Algeria, which was not recently enough, but a few years ago, um, 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 looking at the books that were on offer in, uh, in, uh, in downtown bookshops in Algiers, I felt there was the beginning of, of studies, serious studies by, by historians about local problems of some detail written by themselves. And maybe one wants to, to, to look for a sort of weight of this kind of thing. I mean, um, um, again, in a detailed reference to what, what Sami Zubeda just said, um, um, for example, yes, there were the Ottoman centers and, 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 and the indigenous hinterland, and perhaps that might give rise to the feeling that it was, uh, it is a colonial project after all, in some way. Um, but my own long ago work on, um, on uh, Abdul Qadir al-Jazeri, I felt he, he came out of an indigenous situation, which was um, certainly it was affected by the presence of the Ottomans there, but it was in no way Ottoman, no. and it was complex, quite difficult to understand, intricate patterns of power relationships. This is the sort of thing we, we need to know about, I, I think, and perhaps, perhaps in a way that takes precedence over, over the the grand sweep. Uh, am I saying sort of enough grand sweep, maybe? <laughs> Can I hand over to you, Jay? Yes, that's fair enough. Well, that, that links back to something that Ken said about you know, the, the value of the local kind of micro study. And absolutely, you know, people of Saleh or uh, work on Casablanca or uh, various, or, you know, funny clones work on the OBS. I mean, there are a lot. That, and, 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 certain, and certainly, yes, we need a lot more of that, right? So, uh, another thing that I, that I think has often, I didn't say this, but another thing that's often uh, not been uh, given enough attention to is local history on its own terms. Again, I think a lot, of lo a lot of local study that has been done has generally been done in terms of the contribution of locality X to, you know, national struggle Y. Um, and that still happens, you know, I get uh, invitations to conferences all the time for one, you know, the contribution of the city and population of stem stem to the struggle for national liberation. You know, fine, and that's very important. But it's much more interesting to know about, you know, the local and regional history of the city of Clemson in its own terms, apart from its uh, insertion into the national narrative, and I think that's true of, of, of a lot of places. Of course, within Algerian history in particular, that, that's particularly problematic because of this issue of regionalism, right, in Algerian politics, and in particular for the history of Kabylia, about which it's almost impossible to say anything specific without being accused within Algeria of, you know, some kind of regional uh, dissension. Um, so, so there are there are, there are again reasons why that's generally not not been done, and, and we certainly do need a lot more of it. And of course, anthropologists are best place to do it, but more <coughs> anthropologically informed or inflected historical writing is also now being done, including within the region, 
um, and in you know Bakil and Morocco, for example, but also especially especially in Algeria, uh, where there are now, for example, anthropological doctoral schools in places like Hanshla and in Tizuzu and in Oran. Uh, that are training students in local fieldwork methods to go and write very localised, very detailed studies of the kind that we haven't generally had, and I think that's probably what you're referring to, and that, that that kind of thing is coming is, is now becoming visible um, in, in what's being published. I was involved uh, a couple of years ago in a conference in Algeria on, on, on exactly that, on, on uh, the local and the global and, and how they're articulated in, in the region as a whole with a lot of Tunisian, Moroccan and Algerian colleagues. Um, looking at, at that question, and there were certainly lots of people from all kinds of disciplines, you know, urban studies, econ economists, geographers, people looking at agricultural development, um, historically and in terms of very contemporary concerns, who are doing that kind of work. And obviously that's extremely important, but I don't think we can, uh, we can wait for, you know, 300 years of accumulation of detail before, we, before, before producing any kind of, of general attempt at a synthesis. Um, Apart from anything else, you know, one, one can never have quite enough accumulation of detail. Right? The old positivist idea that, that, that eventually, you know, all the uh, all all the uh, all the local studies would be done, uh, and then you'd be able to have your general narrative. You know, people people following in the footsteps of Bordel tried to write histories like that, and it, it was, if I forget the name of the couple, and possibly Ken will know them, but those, those people who worked on the. Um, the, the economic history of, I think, Barcelona, and it took them you know, 30 years to construct all the price series and come out with the three or four volumes, two of which would have been statistical appendices, um, to do that kind of big analyst style, you know, massive accumulation of detail that will eventually add up to a, a whole picture of the whole region. Um, and, you know, in a sense, that's, that, that's, uh, it, it's a bottomless pit, that kind of, of historical work, and you can't, you can't ever get what you want out of it. Um, so I do think we need new-ish uh, ways of approaching general questions and of framing the bits of local information that we have in a way, in a way that might make them more productive. Um, and, and this, this ties into what, what, um, what Sammy was saying. I mean, I think uh, this question of the region as always being thought of as distinct, as broken up, in fact, into distinct fragments, if you like, or distinct, distinct areas, is obviously very important. Um, and of course, in a sense, you know, uh, up until 1830, the history of, of, of Algeria is, uh, is is the history of the, what we have is the history of Algiers, the city-state, and before that, of various dynasties competing for power across the east and the west, the Hafsids, the Wafsids, the Zianids. Um, again, but without falling back into either a, a very old, a very, uh, I mean, a, a very empirically interesting but not very explanatory dynastic history or a kind of proto-national history in which everything is simply the history you know, the, the very great longevity of, of Morocco which can be written as the history of the nation because you write the history of the nation around the history of the monarchy at least since the at least since since since, since the otherwise territorial entity rather than nation. Yes, okay. So to, to, but that but that comes to that comes to be understood as as national longevity, right? at least in the case of, of, of the Moroccan. The territorial entity is is, is kind of the 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 genealogy of what comes to be thought of as a nation. So everything kind of, in that sense, everything slips, I think, into into sort of proto national history. And that, that's true for Tunisia as well. Like we have a very long history of a of a uh, relatively coherent and uh, relatively uh, easily managed territorial space, which has a very well-developed state infrastructure covering the whole territory relatively effectively from a relatively early period, with an indigenized dynasty ruling over it. Um, uh, I think 
what's what, what might be more interesting in terms of trying to, to deepen that history and to avoid the, the, the danger of a kind of slipping into something proto-nationalist, to think in terms of, of these various territories as being much more social and ecological. Um, in terms of populations living in, uh, there's a whole section of this paper that I cut out, which is to do with the uh, Holden Vassell's model of Mediterranean history and the idea that being based on what they call microecologies, um, little productive niches that are uh, isolated, precarious, dependent on very highly variable rainfall, that therefore ne of necessity can only exist by <coughs> relating to other similar niches <coughs> elsewhere, uh, that therefore patterns of exchange and diversification and spreading of risk and so on are, are ne necessary for survival. And this, I think, is also a pattern very much in, in North African history. Um, and thinking of, of different areas in those senses, I think, is a way of getting away from dynastic history and from the history of territorial entities as either long established and therefore, as it were, almost nations in waiting, which is the Moroccan case, or Chinolitian case, or somehow lacking that and therefore having to kind of, in a very apologetic and defensive sense, construct an asset themselves, which is, called, which is obviously the Algerian case. Um, and that, I think, help, helps us because it gets away from the political level as being determined, again, this in a sense, sort of Bordellian point, I guess. Um, but I think there are ways of thinking, for example, about the relationship between, between Andalus and, and the Maghreb in terms of the relations between cities, right? Because, the, because what's, what's important in terms of the heritage of, of, of Andalus for, for the Maghreb is very specifically tied to particular social groups, people in Tlemcen or in Fez who, you know, to this day will tell you how their children are still schooled in the forms of uh, Andalusian classical music and the very particular performance of particular nubas that are, you know, passed down from their ancestors who were kicked out by the Reconquista. Um, and, and, and thinking about connections in those senses between specific places and particular population groups um, would be a way of retracing that that wouldn't simply be another way of restating a kind of dynastic or territorial-centered uh, uh, history. I mean, certainly the region as a whole uh, is not conceived of as a unity uh, but the ways in which the different spaces that make it up coalesce with each other in terms of population, in terms of dependence and markets and exchange, in terms of the projection of power, which is always very variable by the state, even in the Moroccan case, where you have a peripatetic monarchy. And even in the Moroccan case, after all, the history of you know, the Kingdom of Morocco for early modern European sources is the history of, is the Kingdom of Marrakech. When they, when they say the history of Morocco, what they mean is, 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 is you know, Marrakech. Um, uh, and, the, and there's the kingdom of Marrakesh and the kingdom of Fez, and the two together make an empire. And the court moves between them, and Meknes is, is, is what makes the, uh, the, 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 the territory, as it were, an imperial one, um, rather than a city-state which is centered on Algiers, which looks towards the sea, which has a very variable degree of sovereignty over the hinterland. So I think there are ways of, of fitting those, those ideas into the kind of framework that I'm trying to propose that would make, it, that, that would make them make deeper sense if that, if that makes sense. Why not? <laughs> this gentleman. Um, yeah, um, um, my name is Matthias. Um, I'm a student at SOAS. Um, you mentioned that there are in historiography in Algeria, there are a lot of histories about the struggle of town, uh, uh, town X, uh, sorry, the, the contribution of town mm. X to national struggle, etc. And you mentioned that there is hardly any sort of local history on its own terms. Mm. And I'm wondering why that is, because I'm thinking sort of local history on its own term 
would be the kind of older, maybe original form of historiography yeah. um, that you would have, let's say, you would, before there was nationalism, yeah. um, you would have, let's say, a history of Damascus being written on its yes, own. Yes, absolutely. Uh, so, yes, yeah. all the history of the notables of Damascus, always, yes, indeed, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so why, so why, don't, why don't we have that? Well, I mean, in the case of Algeria, we don't have it, I think. And, and, and it's coming back, right, okay? It's not, I don't mean to, this, this is all, as John said, very, very general. I'm being extraordinarily, I mean, in a sense, uh, uh, illegitimately broad brush here. And, and ought to be much more specific, but I'm trying to put a very broad canvas. Um, uh, in Algeria, in particular, to, to, to again be broad rush about it, it's difficult to do that uh, precisely because the effort of writing Algerian national history to, to remedy this absence right, that, that, that Sami pointed to in terms of the, the obvious territorial longevity of Algeria as, an, as, a, as a national territory and the extent to which uh, there's a sense in which it's necessary for Algerian national historiography as a political and social and educational project to be integrative and to respond to the claim, which is always the claim of the, of the French, right, that Algerie doesn't exist until the French invent it. Right? This word is a French creation. There is no, you know, Algeria means Algiers before 1830, and this territory, you know, this territory is lots of different, lots of different things, but it, it isn't, it isn't a nation state in the, in the making. It doesn't have, it doesn't have any sovereignty. There's no sovereignty that the FLN can legitimately claim to be re-establishing. Um, that, that, that's a problem for Algerian historians. I think it remains a problem to a certain extent for, for some Algerian historians. Um, uh, and if you turn from that integrative project to trying to privilege the local and the uh, <coughs> specific, especially you know, your, your, your local and your specific happens to be a relatively restive, dissident place like um, <coughs> the mountainside in Kabylia. But, uh, but even if it's you know, Batna or Hinshla or or Spath or Constantine or, or, or even someone like Fremson, right? Um, there's, a, there's a sense in which what you are privileging is not politically legitimate. Now that might be breaking down now, that might be indeed that's probably been breaking down since the late 80s, early 90s, I mean, in, in, in the extent to, to, to the same ways a lot of things in Algeria have, have broken down in, in, in much, much more terrible ways. Um, and, some, and, and, and something productive coming out of that may well be uh, the ability, as I said before, the ability now in Algeria to, to, to think about uh, locality in, in, in more acceptable, legitimate ways, that, that, that local history has a place, that it doesn't have to be simply um, you know, the way in which this Wilaya, people in this Wilaya before better than people in the other Wilaya, right? Mm -hmm. um, or the way in which this Wilaya was not you know, betrayed in dependence by X, Y, and Z, who you know, stabbed in the back and all the rest of it. Um, but, but that's, been, that's been hard to do for, for very obvious political and institutional reasons. Uh, and, and it's, and again, that's not to, I don't mean at all to imply that very smart, very dedicated, very professional <coughs> haven't been doing perfectly brilliant work, of course they have, um, and often in, in conditions that have been extremely difficult and, and, and un, un, uh, 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 and, and not conducive uh, to to, to that kind of work, but uh, but, it, but it has been hard to do. Gentlemen, the back there. Yeah. I'm interested to borrow something in his quote. I have a little bit of an issue regarding the way in which global history improves uh, historiography about North Africa. Isn't mm -hmm. it just a way to end up doing a similar way of 
uh, historical determinism. Mm. I'm saying that the external conditions of the region will impact on what we have today. And is there a way to take out the human agency in the whole discussion about the outcome today? Um, I hope not. It could be. That's well, that could be another trap. Um, I certainly don't want to propose another model of external, de external dependency, right, or, 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 de or certainly not a determinism. I think, no, I think on the contrary, the, the, the idea is to get a sense of, you know, what is it that, what is it that North African, what is it, how do we bring this region into dialogue with other regions, right? Um, how do we make the history of the Maghreb something that people who are interested in other what might be comparable world regions actually have something to learn from, okay? Um, I think that one of the reasons for the absence of North African history more generally from, from uh, the, the big discussions in historical scholarship generally, it's relative to marginality institutionally, um, and what Daniel talked about is the lack of imagination at the very beginning of the, 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 the discussion, um, is precisely the fact that the, 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 the fact that there's been no way to bring the Maghreb into dialogue with other areas, right? Um, and, and it seems to me that thinking in terms of global history not as a, an externally determining force, and not as just, precisely why I said it's important not to write the history of North Africa just as a kind of undifferentiated part of the undifferentiated global South that is, you know, uh, uh, oppressed and determined and made dependent by, by imperialism. I'm, I'm not proposing a kind of new version of world systems theory. Um, on, on the other hand, I think it's, it's, it, it might provide a way of thinking in terms of comparative categories of analysis that can allow us to think about North Africa in terms of other places, rather than it simply being a bit of the Middle East that's not really the Middle East, or a bit of Africa that's not really Africa. Does, does that make sense? Time for one final question. One quick question, one quick answer. Somebody's got one, I know. No, James, you thought. Ah, lady at the back. Hi, I'm Gabby Mouse from Oxford. And um, I was just thinking when you were talking about Bordura and Gallagher and Gates and all the sort of, you know, canon of North African anthropologists. Um, and I think there's been a tendency to look at what they've done and, you know, colonial ethnography is, you know, passe, mm. or there is passe, shame, you know, mm. all that. And I just wonder, in terms of, I know you're thinking of, in terms of broad trends, but whether. I mean, when I've been in Algeria, what I've been struck by is how alive a lot of that is, albeit in kind of maybe um, kernel forms compared to what they were writing about. But, you know, whether we might reclaim those sorts of more anthropological ideas in thinking about how, say, regions relate to the state. So, you know, how honor comes into play as a kind of political category. Um, no, absolutely. Yeah. Um, you know, on a dignity. When Algerians go on the streets and protest about Hagar, you know, what, is, what, what are they protesting about? The, lack, the fact that the state doesn't recognize the dignity of individual men in particular, but women too, right? Yeah, absolutely. No, I mean, I think that, you know, the dignity, that people kind of go on and on ad nauseam now about the dignity deficit, right? This has been one of the new buzzwords in the wake of, of what happened last year, I guess. Um, but yes, you know, NIF you know, is, not, is not dead, either in Kabylia or elsewhere. Sure. That'll have to be it, I'm afraid. Um, it just leaves me to say I should I should remind you what the next lecture is going to be. That's going to be Dr. Carol Kirsten, 
um, who will speak on cosmopo Muslim cosmopolitanism or heresy, lessons for the aftermath of the 2011 Arab Spring. And that's going to happen. The new academic building will be 204 at half past six, the usual time. Um, on a date um, which is not specified on my sheet Monday. here. Hmm? It's on Monday. It's on Monday. It is. I, I saw the thing. Monday the 6th. Monday yes. coming. <laughs> Monday the 6th. Thank, thank you all very much. And uh, well, well, we thank you.